If I were to ask you, what is the defining story of your life? What would you say? I mean, what is, maybe it's an event, a moment that continues to shape your life to this day. When was it? When, when did it happen? Was it a good thing? Because, you know, uh, for a lot of people, it's not. You know, over the years, I've found, for many people, their defining story is, is very negative. I mean, something happened to them. It was growing up and an and experience, and it shaped them, and, and it's, it's the way they filter all of their experiences, even to this day. I mean, some are still living their glory days and, you know, the winning touchdown back in high school. But for others, maybe it's a loss. Maybe a parent's divorce. Or maybe one day your spouse came home after 25 years of marriage and said they're done. Maybe death. A loss. A tragedy. And, and the point is, it, it happened to you. And you may not realize it, but it's taken over your life and it's become your central story. It's become a tomb. I mean, those experiences, they begin to define us. And, and they're stories that shape our, the rest of our lives, if we allow them. What's yours? For the past 2,000 years, millions and millions of people have chosen Jesus' story of the resurrection to be the story that defines them. And that decision changed everything in their lives. So instead of being defined by something somebody did to you, something that happened to you, they traded that story of personal tragedy for a story of how God raised Jesus from the grave. And that becomes the lens through which they experience the world, the resurrection of Jesus. The Bible tells us Jesus was publicly executed on a Roman cross on Friday. And his body was placed in a tomb and a large stone was rolled over the mouth of the tomb. Cave back here and the, the stone back here. They're modeled after one of the caves that experts think may have been. At least it's from the time uh, Jesus lived. And may have been the tomb that Jesus was placed in. On Friday. Then on Saturday, his body stayed sealed inside. I mean, according to Jewish law... It, it was Sabbath, right? And, and so they had to leave his body alone until Sabbath was over. Meaning all Saturday, his body just lay there behind a big rock. I want you to listen to the way the Gospel of Mark describes Sunday morning. Chapter 16, when the Sabbath was over, Mary, Magdalene, and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, they brought spices so that they might anoint his body for burial. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for the entrance of the tomb? And when they looked up, they saw the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, 
sitting on the right side, and, and they were alarmed. But he said, do not be alarmed, for you are looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He was crucified. He has been raised. He's not here. Look, this is the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you'll see him just as he told you. This morning I want to spend a couple minutes on several of the stories from Mark's story. Several individuals. And I want to see how each one sheds different light on the meaning of this story for us today. And the first is a man named Barabbas. We find in chapter 15 the story of Barabbas. Mark writes, Now a man called Barabbas was in prison with the rebels who had committed murder during the insurrection. So the crowd came and began to ask Pilate to do for them according to his custom. And he answered, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? He realized it was out of jealousy that chief priests had handed him over. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have them release Barabbas instead. Pilate spoke again, Then what do you wish me to do with this man you call king of the Jews? And they shouted back, Crucify him. And Pilate asked, why? What evil has he done? And they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released Barabbas for them. After flogging Jesus, he handed him over to be crucified. So Matthew tells us Barabbas, and Barabbas is son of the father, Bar is son of Abbas, is Abba, father. But his first name was Jesus, we find in Matthew's gospel. Jesus Barabbas. So there were actually two men named Jesus who were slated to be crucified that day. And both were potential messiahs, that's the point. Jesus of Nazareth and this other man, Jesus Barabbas. Now we know there were quite a few other would-be messiahs who were killed within about a 40-year period of Jesus' death. And these messiahs they were very different than Jesus. I mean, this is the point. They, they were leaders of various armed insurrections, armed rebellions. And sometimes they had thousands of followers. They wanted to force the occupying Roman forces out of their land. This is what people expected the Messiah to do. So the Messiah they longed for was supposed to take his place as the king of the Jews and lead a resistance movement to kick the Romans out and to restore Israel to her proper place as a world leader. Our Jesus was very different. He had a very different understanding of Messiah. And he taught that the way to conquer hearts of stone was, was to love them. Self-giving love. Sacrificial love. Jesus said he would save others by giving his life. That was nothing like the Messiah that people expected. I mean, the people of Jerusalem, they're very interested in Jesus' teaching. They, they, they flocked to him to hear him teach. And his message was so different than anything they'd ever heard. Love your neighbor. Turn your cheek. I mean, they loved to hear Jesus. But they wanted a Messiah with a sword. Someone who would lead them in armed rebellion, like Jesus Barabbas is the point. He had killed some Romans during an insurrection. So he, he was the type of Messiah that people wanted. 
So the Roman governor, Pilate, he had this strategy, and it was meant to squelch any possible insurrection uh, because the people all came together. This festival was Passover, and it was meant to remember Exodus, which was the time that God had already set the people free. And they were expecting it to happen again. They were praying for this to happen again. They were waiting for a Messiah that would lead them against the Romans. And Pilate knew this. So Pilate, he let the people choose one prisoner to be released on Passover. And it was like an olive branch. It was kind of meant to let the air out of any potential insurrection. So he brought forth these two Jesuses in front of the people. And he said, he won't let one of them go. And then he asked the people, which one do you choose? Remember, the name Jesus means save us. Savior. And they chose their Savior. They chose their Jesus. They chose Jesus Barabbas. Here's the point. Barabbas walked away a free man that day. Jesus took his cross. He was completely guilty, without a question. Our Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, the innocent man, took Barabbas' place on the cross that day. And I want you to hear this, and I want you to get this. Jesus died the death that Barabbas deserved. Jesus hung on the cross in the place of Barabbas. So that Barabbas could live. Innocent Jesus took guilty Barabbas' place. So he could walk away a free man. Free, unmerited, amazing grace. Barabbas did nothing to deserve that at all. I mean, how, how could you? What, what could you do to deserve this gift? He was guilty. Jesus paid the price. He died on the cross. Barabbas walked away free. Barabbas was the first man saved by Jesus' cross. I'm I'm fascinated with Barabbas' story. And there's so much that we can learn here. But the question for right now is, what did Barabbas do with that free gift of grace? What did he do with the life that was purchased for him? I don't think he had a problem receiving grace that day at all. I mean, he didn't argue with Jesus, you know, dying the death he deserved. He didn't go up to Pilate and say, you know, no, this doesn't make sense. He can't take my place on the cross. What did he do? Did he have a change of heart? Did he turn from his ways and start following Jesus? We don't know. And and honestly, that's the answer. And if you think about the story that could have been, imagine the personal witness Barabbas would have had if he had started to follow Jesus. He took my place on the cross. He died to set me free. I mean, if Barabbas had chose that to be his defining story, he would have made it into Acts. He would have been all over Paul's letters. The early Christians, they would have capitalized on that story. He, if he would have been a follower of Jesus, I think he would have been the leader of the early church. I mean, if, 
He was obviously a leader. The people chose him over Jesus. Somewhere the story of his conversion at least would have been written down. If he had one. But there's not even one sentence about him. He did not preach and win converts like Peter. He didn't start churches like Paul. He just walked away from the cross. Barabbas reminds us we can be set free from the things that we have done because of Jesus. Our guilt and our shame and our sin wiped clean. All because of Jesus' death on the cross. And it's free, unmerited grace. Jesus took our place. Jesus died our death. Jesus continues to offer life. Free, unmerited grace. But I think Jarabbas is there to remind us we have to respond to that grace if we really accept it. Our hearts and our lives, they need to change because of this grace. When you follow Jesus, your heart needs to reflect it. You change your actions. I mean, you go where Jesus goes. You do what Jesus does. That's what a follower is. Which is the story of another man in Mark's Gospel, Simon of Cyrene. His heart was changed by an experience of the suffering Christ. I I don't know if you know the story, but Mark tells us Jesus was carrying the weight of his cross up to the hill of Golgotha. And Mark writes, they compelled a passerby who was coming in from the country to carry his cross. It was Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. So Cyrene was uh, in Libya, it's an African city. And most likely Simon was an African Jewish pilgrim who had come as a pilgrimage during the Passover. And so the Romans, they just, Jesus, they just pull him out to help carry Jesus' cross because he couldn't bear the weight any longer, which makes sense because it would have weighed 80 to 100 pounds and they had already beat him to the point of death. Completely dehydrated. He wouldn't have been able to carry that heavy cross very far. And and so the Roman soldiers, they just pull this man out of the crowd. There again, it makes sense. Simon, in the midst of all these Middle Easterners, if he was from Africa, would have been very dark skinned, would have just stuck out in the crowd, and they would have just grabbed him because that's what Roman soldiers did. But Simon is so different from Barabbas because we know a lot about him. This African Jewish pilgrim from Libya, he became a leader in the early church. At some point, his family moved to Rome. And this is important. He had two sons, Rufus and Alexander. They were part of Mark's community. Mark wrote his gospel most likely in Rome. And he names them in his gospel. And I just think this is fascinating. So Mark is 
almost through with the story of Jesus. I mean, we're, we're almost to the end here. They started with the baptism, calling the disciples, his miracles, his teaching, everything, all the way. We go to the trial of Jesus to the point that Jesus is carrying his cross on the way up to the hill. And then Mark stops story time and says, Simon of Cyrene helped him. You know, the, the father of Rufus and Alexander. It's like they're in the original audience Mark was writing to. Or at least they knew who he was, for sure. They compelled a passerby. Coming in from the country to carry his cross, it was Simon of Cyrene, the father of Rufus and Alexander. But that's not all. Like I say, Mark most likely wrote his gospel in Rome. And I want you to hear a verse from Romans 16, Paul's letter to the church at Rome. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and greet his mother. She's been a mother to me as well. Let me think about what that means. So Romans 16 is just a long list of the leaders in the Roman church that Paul is writing to. It's the place Mark wrote his gospel. Simon's son Rufus became a leader in that church, in the early Roman church. And Paul thinks of Simon's wife, Rufus's mom, as a mother to him as well. All because Simon followed Jesus. And he took up that cross. He followed Jesus. Everything changed. He became a follower. Jesus' cross and resurrection became the story that defined him. It became his defining narrative. Barabbas teaches us, God offers us a chance to start over. Absolutely, no question. God offers us new life through the death of Jesus. Because of Jesus' death on a cross, our slate can be wiped clean. We can start anew once more. There is nothing we need to do but accept that offer. But the grace, it has to be received. I mean, there's nothing we can do to make God love us more or less than God already loves us. But Barabbas teaches us, you have to respond to that grace. It's not just an offer, it's a relationship. And this means we accept Jesus' gift, it becomes our defining story, it becomes our defining narrative, and then we experience new life. Barabbas' story teaches us about the new life. But Simon Cyrene teaches us what happens when we actually accept that new life and we start to follow. And God's story of Jesus' death and resurrection becomes our defining story. And our lives change and our hearts change. And that's the point. Because once we reorient our lives and we begin to follow Christ, like Simon, our hearts and our lives begin to change and nothing is ever the same. This is what happens when you follow Jesus. When we walk with Christ, when we follow Jesus, our hearts actually change on the journey. Because followers go where their leader go. Followers do what their leader does. A real change happens in our hearts. 
And our actions should look more and more like the actions of Jesus as we follow his teachings. Like Simon. I mean, think about just from that moment, what happened in history because Jesus' story became Simon's story. He became a leader of the early church. His two boys, Rufus and Alexander, they became the next generation of leaders in the church of Rome. Mark names them in the middle of his, one of the most dramatic points in his gospel. And then the apostle Paul writes about Rufus and how Simon's wife is like a mom to him. Barabbas teaches us the cross is a gift of life. But Simon teaches us what happens when we really accept and we live into that gift and we start to follow Jesus and his story becomes our story. The cross is an amazing symbol, but as amazing and powerful as it is, it's about the empty tomb, not the cross. The empty tomb is about resurrection. It's about new life. The empty tomb says God took what was meant for evil and forced it for God's purposes. God used what was evil for good. This is redemption when pain and suffering, when evil is transformed into beauty. I mean, that's what God does. God forces evil into beauty. That's our hope. That's Easter. The darkest thing that can happen in our lives does not have to be the thing that defines us. We can be released from that. That thing, it can be transformed into hope and into new life through the power of the resurrection. That's the story of the empty tomb. When things are at their darkest when evil is plotting against you, when it feels like you are sealed in a dark grave and the only way out is being blocked by this big, big, big boulder between you and life, there's hope. That's the message of the resurrection. Even on the darkest of Friday, Sunday is coming. I mean, some things, things get so dark and, and it gets so blurred and we can't see clear. A huge rock has locked us in, sealed us in. Life is slipping away. And death is all around us. That's the story of Judas. Matthew tells us when Judas, his betrayer, saw Jesus was condemned, he repented. And brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. And he said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? Throwing down the pieces of silver in the temple, he departed, he went, and he hanged himself. You put this into context. You know, Judas had left everything and followed Jesus for three years. He was his disciple. He was his friend. He learned firsthand from Jesus. He traveled with Jesus. He ate with Jesus. He talked with Jesus. He shared ministry with Jesus. He saw Jesus perform miracles. All the disciples deserted Jesus. I, I mean, they all fled in his hour of need, right? And when the, in the dark when Jesus was arrested, they all left. 
And we're told, Peter denied Jesus over and over and over again. Judas, Matthew says Judas repented. He tried to make it right. He tried to take the money back. But he was stuck in Friday. And he chose to end his life. Peter's story is so different. You know, with Peter and Jesus, when they meet three days later, after the resurrection, Jesus offers Peter forgiveness. A new beginning. And Peter accepts it. And he becomes the leader of the early church. And he dies in Rome like 30 years later. But it was too late for Judas on Sunday morning. He couldn't wait three days. It was so dark. He couldn't see the light. And it's so clear. Matthew says he repented. He tried to give the money back. Both of these stories teach us so much. Judas and Peter. In Peter we see no matter what we have done. There is absolutely nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. Jesus offered Peter new life, a chance to start over after the resurrection. Peter betrayed Jesus and denied he ever knew him. He didn't try to make it right. But he accepted forgiveness. And in turn, like I said, Peter offered the experience to God, the entire experience, and God used the experience, changed his heart, and he went on to do amazing things. You know, Peter, he chose Jesus' death and resurrection to be the story that defines him. This became his defining narrative. He became the rock upon which the early church was built. And he was the main leader in the early church. Can you imagine, though, if, if Peter's emotions, when he heard Jesus had come back, and then they met face to face for the first time. And can you imagine, Lord, do you want to see me? And the shock as Jesus embraced him and offered him another chance. I always wondered what would have happened if Judas could have waited three days. If he'd been there on Sunday. What do you think Jesus would have said to him? I mean, the potential, the possibilities. If Judas just could have waited and trusted that where he couldn't see it, God was at work. And allowed God to, to forgive him. And if he had accepted grace and forgiveness. I mean what if Jesus had chose Jesus' story of resurrection to be his defining moment. His defining story. Can you imagine when he met the resurrected Jesus. And he embraced him. And offered him new life. Can you imagine the evangelist that man would have been? I mean the churches that he could have started. I am the one who sold Jesus out for silver. And he forgave me. I think he would have been the leader of the early church. Frankly, not Peter. I mean, but he couldn't see beyond the darkness of Friday. And 
Friday became his defining story and he ended his life. And this happens all too often. And we have to realize, every one of us in this room, we're going to be at that point at sun someday. When things just get darker and darker and darker, and there doesn't seem to be any way out, no hope whatsoever. I mean, in a group this size, there's more than a few of us right now that are there. And we're struggling to see, and this is you. If you're struggling in your Friday, I need you to hear this. What would have happened if Judas had made another decision and just waited two more days? Everything would have been different. But there is no way that Judas could have seen that. That was beyond his imagination what God had planned. And that's how God works. You know, sometimes we have to hold on to faith in the midst of our darkness and, and realize God has a plan. God has a purpose. God is going to bring beauty out of these ashes in ways that we cannot imagine. God can bring new life in just a few short days. And everything is going to be different once we get there. It may be Friday, but Sunday is coming. That's how God, this is the message of the empty tomb. And Judas couldn't see it because he was locked in Friday. There's going to be a point when you have, you're going to be in Friday. And you're going to let that be your defining moment. You can offer that tomb. And God can take the worst things that we experience. And God can force those things for his purposes and bring new beauty out of those ashes. But we have to stick through it. You know, sometimes we're in Saturday and we're just in faith that God is at work somehow. Everybody is going to be here. The, the, we're in the tomb. The rock has been set. It's dark. We can't see any way out. The empty cross and the empty tomb, they tell us no matter how bad it is, God can turn it around. And bring a new day. God can bend evil for his purposes. You may not see beyond the bleakness of your Friday. But the empty tomb tells us the resurrection changes everything. The empty tomb is God saying, you just have faith here. Hold on. Even in the darkest of moments, even in the darkest of tombs, in the valley of the shadow, I am there. I am with you. You may not see me. You may not feel me. But I have not given up on you. Don't give up on me. I'm just starting here. You're not going to believe how this turns out. But you can't see it from your darkness. I'm here in your tomb. 
I know it's bad, but hold on. Because of the resurrection, everything has changed. The darkness is not going to last forever. There is hope. God is walking through this with you. You're not going to believe what comes out of the experience. The empty tomb. The empty tomb tells us Jesus' grace is available. And we can start again. And we can be forgiven. And we can walk away like Barabbas. And Simon of Cyrene teaches us that when we journey with Christ, when we follow Jesus, our hearts change and our lives change. And as that happens, God works through us and the world around us changes. The empty tomb teaches us no matter how dark it seems, God can bend evil. God can force the darkness to do his will. Because through the resurrection, Jesus conquered evil conquered death itself the bible the bible teaches jesus resurrection is a foretaste of something that we will all experience one day there will be a new creation there'll be a day when all creation will experience together a new rule under king jesus for all eternity you can live as a citizen of jesus kingdom now you know every easter for it's got to be 30 years at this point I've ended every Easter message the same way. If you're here last year, you know what I'm going to say. It's what this story means to me. I've chosen to adopt this story as the story that defines me. <coughs> the story of the resurrection. You know, people will ask, do you believe the resurrection part? I mean, the, the, the ethics of Jesus, yeah. And it, it, do, you, do you really believe that he rose from the grave? And you have to know, I, I not only need this to be true, I'm counting on it myself. When I, people I love are in grief. When they are in loss... When they're sharing their pain and their hurts with me, I need to know there's hope. The resurrection changes everything. I, I've done a lot of funerals over the years. You know, in the last year, I've lost some friends. There is a tremendous way a difference in, in how a family who has chosen the resurrection as the story that defines them is a tremendous difference between a family that hasn't. I mean, disciples grieve loss. Don't, don't misunderstand me at all. But it doesn't com completely devastate them as it does someone whose life is not defined by this story. That's where it gets real. I mean, the resurrection changes everything. I can't imagine my life being defined by anything other than the resurrection. I don't know how to go on, especially when you hit that tomb. How do you deal? You know, I bury a friend. Or when I'm sitting next to someone who is dying or suffering, I need to know this is true. I, when people that I love are in pain, I need to know there's hope coming that their suffering is not going to have the last word i know this is true 
I've been in the midst of the darkness myself and a tomb. No hope seemed possible. No way out of the situation. There's a big, big stone in the way. But I'll tell you, God can bring you out of that tomb. God can meet you in the midst of your pain, right in your hurt. And you can experience a new creation. If you decide that this story will be the story that defines you, it'll change everything. But you have to decide it yourself. What's the story that defines you? You pray with me. Lord, I thank you for hope. That no matter how dark the tomb, that you are present. And even when we can't see, you see clearly. <coughs> I thank you for the power that raised Jesus from the grave. <coughs> Help this to become the story that defines us. In your son's name, amen.